Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good morning and welcome to our service this morning, whether you're here in person or if you're online, we're certainly glad that you're here. Uh, let's start with a singing of Shine, Jesus Shine, if you would stand with me, please. Born the light of your love is shining in the midst of the darkness, shining.
We want to welcome you here at West Irwin and our visitors and those who are live on internet streaming. The elders' names along with their phone numbers are on the front page of the bulletin. Now, feel free to call with any concerns you may have. And after services, an uh, elder is available for anyone who wants to share their concerns or need of prayers. And today I will be available in the room adjacent to the foyer to listen and pray with you. I recently saw a picture in a magazine article. At first glance, I could not make out the picture. Then I realized it was a picture of people walking. But the picture was upside down with the title, Upside Down. And the article is about the challenges we faced last year and the challenges for this year. We do not know what issues and struggles we will face for the year 2021. As we face each day, I encourage us to study the word so that we know how to live Christ-like. We can start living right when we know how to live Christ-like. And living right is living for Christ. And living for Christ will help us stay upright as we struggle in our world that appears to be upside down. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, help us keep our focus and faith upon you as we live in a world where there are struggles, challenges, and many things that can trip us up as we walk with you. Father, we have many names on our prayer and care list. We ask you for your special hand of healing for Dan Richardson, Doc White, Stan Clark, Fred Wingate, Debbie Jones, Tom Cook, Susie Roden, Gary Elrod, Debbie Elrod, Scotty Albert's parents, Sue and Eddie Rhodes, Dr. Bob Burnett, Sue Figgins, and those who are quarantined. We ask for peace and comfort upon those who recently lost a loved one. We are mindful of the Cypher family, Kathy Portwood family, Martha Wagner's family and Katie Powell, Debbie and Jay Bond's family, Israel Sandoval family, and the Minks family. We are thankful for those in the military or health care workers or teachers and all those who are willing to help others. And fathers, bless our farmers, ranchers, and field workers who labor in the early morning hours and the heat of the day and during the nights to provide us a bounty of food. Bless these workers. And we pray that the rain will fall short, softly upon their fields. Bless us with government leaders who can restrain evil who uphold your word and your righteousness and provide civil order and justice. We are thankful for so many simple things in life that brings us joy and are thankful for living in this country where a copy of your word is readily available and where we can worship you without fear. Father, we pray for strength to resist evil that desires to enter our lives, our homes, and this land we live in. 
We ask for a hedge of protection around each of us and our families from diseases, violence, and temptations of this world. We ask you to provide the parents the knowledge and wisdom to direct and guide their children in your ways. Father, we ask you to bring a youth minister to the attention of our search committee that will be a blessing for this church. Father, we ask you to bless Donnie Carthen this morning in presenting the word in such a way that will strengthen and encourage us as we strive to build our faith. Father, today as we pause from our works in this world, we praise you for making us, remembering your son's sacrifice, rejoicing in his resurrection, and praising and thanking you for providing us hope and eternal life. May we clear our mind from the distractions of life so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth. For we are grateful for your love, for Jesus' love, and his victory over death. And when we leave, may we be united and strengthened to love you with all of our hearts, souls, and mind. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, as I read a few verses from Acts chapter 2, I would like to ask you to try as best as you can to think about the people that were there at that time. It was only about seven weeks after the crucifixion of Christ, and they were gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate the Pentecost, the first Pentecost after the death of Jesus, 
And they didn't know the end of the story like you and I do. So try to think about what might be going through their minds as these things were happening. Beginning with verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, Aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Think of the guilt some of those folks must have felt. The remorse, they realized, yes, they were guilty of putting the Messiah to death. But some of them were scoffers. Some of them were skeptics. Think of the great relief and the great joy that people felt, at least 3,000 on that day, when they learned that they could be forgiven not only of crucifying Jesus, but they could be forgiven of all of their sins because of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. When I partake of the Lord's Supper each Sunday, I have conflicting thoughts 
and emotions also. I'm sorrowful that it was my sin, just as much as it was the sin of the Romans and the Jews in the first century who crucified Christ. I'm just as guilty for putting him there because it was for my sins and your sins that he went to the cross. It was by design and it was by God's foreknowledge. And what joy we can feel because we also can be forgiven of our sins because of the blood that was shed on that cross. So we're sad, but we're joyful. And we feel a great love because of the love that Jesus showed for us and God showed for us in sending his only son. Pray with me. Father, we, we want our love to grow for you because you loved us so much. It's impossible for us to truly understand the depth and the width and the, all of the dimensions of the great love that you've shown. And we want our love to grow toward you. Thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. Thank you for the, the loaf that we partake this morning to remember that sacrifice. And we pray, Father, that as we partake, we will consider these things and we will honor and glorify you by what we do. For we pray through Christ. Amen. Shall we pray? Dear God, we are so grateful for the cleansing power in the blood that Jesus shed. The blood that he shed not only on the cross, but when they beat him and the lashes cut to the bone. The blood that he shed when they forced down the crown of thorns upon his head. It must have caused bleeding down his face. Thank you for the great love that you have and the sacrifice that Jesus made. And as we partake of this fruit of the vine and remember all those things, may we honor you with what we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Happy New Year. This is Lanny Tucker from EEM. If someone had told me what all was coming in 2020, I never would have imagined God would use the challenges to make it the best year for our ministry since we began in 1961. But that's exactly what God did. We continued publishing, printing, and distributing Bibles as best we could. 
We continued raising funds and prayer support. But like the little boy in the New Testament story, we felt like we were just offering God a little bread and some fish. But God worked a miracle, causing 1.7 million people to ask us for Bibles. We had enough funding to provide 1.3 million people with Bibles in 30 countries and 25 languages. We praise God for His faithfulness in 2020. And thank you for praying with us and giving so generously so that more people could receive a Bible last year than ever before in our history. God bless you. Our God is all-powerful. He can do anything way beyond our imagination. He doesn't have to have us, but he chose to use us to spread the gospel throughout the world. And he chose to use us to help the needy and to build each other up. Our giving is the way we help support Eastern European missions and many other activities, including our benevolence program. So as we give, let's be glad and happy that we have the opportunity to be givers, and may we be cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. Pray with me. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunities that you give us in this country to earn a living, to provide for our families, and yes, even to do your work. And Lord, you've given us a lot of opportunities and you've given us ability to meet those opportunities and we're so grateful. Help us as we contribute to be generous and bless those who make the decisions on how the money is spent. May they always do the things that will be most beneficial to your cause and will result in honor and glory to your name. For we pray in Christ. Amen. Just a reminder, the, the BLAST program for kindergarten through third graders will not meet this morning. But as we stand to sing before our, our lesson, uh, we, will, can, we will have the three to five-year-olds. So they can be dismissed at this time. Please stand with me. As we sing, if I don't trip first.
Hey, good morning. This is encouraging. I was walking down the aisle getting ready to come up here, and a little kid was telling his mom, I said, I don't get to go to Blast? And she goes, no, you get to stay in here, Brother Donnie. And he goes, rescue the perishing. <laughs> Thank you, Rusty. Thank you for that song. Hey, open your Bibles to John chapter 2. That's probably the highlight of the sermon. I know that. Also, I'm also going to bless you. You can pray for Bill's failure because he got tested Friday. Let's pray he fails that test, okay? That's for you, Bill. I'll be glad to have him back and uh, just pray for him and Joyce and make sure everything's okay with him and pray for all our people. Man, that prayer list is tiring, isn't it? And uh, I tell you what, as a church, we just need to take care of each other. We are in this together and do what we can to protect each other, and we're going to get through this, and there are brighter days ahead. John chapter 2, I tell you, if there's one thing that I know that was positive out of this pandemic, and that was the fact that some people got their houses clean. <laughs> is that an amen? <laughs> I've gotten a gajillion calls. When is that benevolent center opening? <laughs> i got stuff to bring up. But I'll tell you what, I'm not talking about that kind of house cleaning. Today, I want to talk about this, uh, when Jesus cleaned the temple. And this is the kind of house cleaning that happens. When we, as a, a people, let Jesus come in and do the cleaning. He's the ultimate cleaner. It's the kind where, um, where people, it's a time when people... Let him come in and get in every closet, every corner. Everything we're trying to hide, everything we try to ignore, Jesus comes in and cleans it all, isn't it? And I know we're talking about the temple, but I'm talking about our hearts. That's where the, the, the emphasis of this sermon is going, when we can let Jesus come in and clean our hearts. It's when we get and we don't worry about the the shame and the humiliation and the embarrassment of, of what he finds. We know that he's going to take care of it and he's going to make it better. We decide to... It's what happens when we decide to follow Jesus and really and to mold our lives after him. It's when we decide to, to stand up and really do church like Jesus wants us to do church. Because that's what this was about when he went in that temple, wasn't it? He was trying to clean it up. It had gotten so bad. It, was, it had gotten to the point where it never was what God intended it to be for the people. And they had gotten in there and they had taken advantage of everybody. They had cheated people. They had level of corruption was unbearable. And Jesus decided it was time to take care of it. This story is found in, in all four Gospels. And not a lot of passages about the story. Uh, three of them presented the story after Jesus' triumphal entry in Jerusalem. John puts the story at the first part of Jesus' ministry. So I think, I'm one of those that think that there was probably two cleansings of that temple. 
because it makes sense to me that Jesus can come in and clean it, and as people go, as soon as Jesus left, they messed it up again. That's just the way we are as people, and we need to accept that. But this, this sermon, we, we were doing the book of John over at the Benevolent Center, and uh, I had a chance to, to preach on this particular passage of Scripture. And it just, I don't know, something about it. You know, sometimes you read a scripture and it just kind of kind of gets to you. And so I started digging into it and looking for it. And I came up with some articles and things other people wrote that really moved me. And I said, you know, you can preach that. You can preach that. And really it's, it's lessons that, number one, that, that appeals to us, it challenges us on a personal level the personal level of really letting Jesus take over your heart and letting him clean up the mess. Number two, it really challenges us on a congregational level on what we do as a church and and how we do it and how important it is to Jesus in what we do. We need to never forget that. And then we also, it challenges us on a leadership level. So all of you who, who consider yourself leaders of this church, look at some of these things. I'm going to have six lessons to give you about when Jesus cleans house in your life. Unfortunately, it's going to take me about 30 minutes to get there. <laughs> no, just kidding. Just kidding. I like to do that to people. So let's start by looking at the text. If you would, open up to John chapter 2. And we'll read verse 13 through 17. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons and the money changers sitting there. In making a whip of cords, he drove them out of the temple with the sheep And the oxen. Jesus knew what was going on in the temple. I love this picture of Jesus here. If you're, thank you, it's fuzzy, it's fuzzy. Don't be wiping your glasses, I'm sorry. I couldn't get it any plainer, making it into a a slide. But Jesus knew, I, I just, I believe with all my heart that Jesus being who Jesus was, he knew what he was going to find in that temple when he went there. And I think Jesus knew what he was going to do once he got there. And more importantly, Jesus knew exactly why he did it. And I, I would like you, if you could put yourself into that place and to see this man sit down and look around and start making that whip and watching and looking around observing what happened and then when he got finished with his whip and he had had enough what did he do well he got up and he started into the people scripture says that he drove them out this wasn't a gathering of people where a policeman comes in and says, okay, it's all over, go home. And everybody just 
kindly marching off and going home. He drove them out. He expelled them from the temple. He forced them out of the temple. And can you imagine the noise, the confusion, the yelling, the screaming? And here's Jesus with that whip. And that's what I like about that picture because this was not, like I say, this was not just a somebody standing up and giving their point of view in a crowd. This was the Son of God delivering a message to the Jews and really, I think, a message to us today. And it looks like he is just fixing the goal. That's what I like about that picture. He's not fooling around, is it? He's not fooling around. Let's keep reading. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered this when it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. This is a different picture. I, I, I got these. I think they came from YouTube. And it's a little clearer picture. And you can see those tables coming over. What I really don't like about this picture, I think there was more people around. I don't think it really captures the confusion and mayhem that was going on at this time. But I can see in that picture, when I look at that picture, I can see Jesus' power, Jesus' anger, Jesus' zeal for his father's house, and I can see Jesus' care for what was being done in his father's house. It was where he was making his point. I think it's a picture of, of Jesus taking up for his people, protecting his people. He was tired of them being cheated. He was tired of them being ignored. He was tired of them being taught wrong. He was tired of them for being taken advantage of and being ignored by the very people that were charged with teaching them about Jesus. He was tired of the corruption. He was tired of the insincere worship. So why did this happen? I want to go back in, in time a little bit. This is an artist's depiction of, of Jerusalem at the time. Right in here, I've been waiting for this moment when I can use this little pointer. <laughs> That's the temple area there. And I want you to imagine that. If you can imagine that at the time this story took place, that place was packed. This was the Passover, the most important feast that the Jews observed. And people came from everywhere into this city. It was crowded. It was going. And it was just an amazing sight. But it was the temple. It was the temple that God had provided for his people. Isaiah called it, uh, he wrote in Isaiah 56 and 7, These I will bring to my holy mountain and give them joy in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house will be called a house of prayer for, you remember how he ended that passage? For all nations. God never intended that temple just to be used for the Jewish people. He always wanted people to come to Christ or come to God, come to him. I wonder if we have that same mission today in our house.
I want you to turn, if you would, over to 1 Kings. This will probably be the most lengthy reading we have today. And this is 1 Kings chapter 8. I'm sorry, I should tell you that, shouldn't I? This is uh, Solomon's prayer of dedication at the original temple that was built, that Solomon had built. If you want to jot something down, I mean, you, 22 through 61, I think it's on there. It's 1 Kings 8, 22 through 61. That's the whole prayer. And it's a beautiful prayer. And I want to just take a few snippets out of it and, and see if we can get the feel of what God intended that temple to be. Starting in, uh, start in verse 33. When your people, Israel, are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and if they turn again to you and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel, and bring them again to the land that you gave their fathers. Let them repent. I'll forgive. I want to bring them home. Drop down to verse 37. If there's famine in the land, if there's a pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if the enemy besages them in the land of their gates, wherever plague, wherever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all people of Israel, each knowing the affliction in his own heart and stretching out his hands toward this place. 41, likewise, when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel comes from a far country for your name's sake, for they shall hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arms. Isn't that beautiful? Let a foreigner come in among you and show him what the love of God is. He'll be here with outstretched hands waiting for you. 46, if they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them an enemy so that they may be carried away captive to the land of the enemy far off and near, yet if they turn their heart from the land to which they have been carried captive and repent and plead with you in the land of their captors, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wicked. If they repent, look what he says to them. I lost my place. Sorry. If they repent with all their mind, with all their heart, in the land of the enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward the land which you give to the fathers, the city in which you have chosen, and the house that I have built in your name. This temple was a place of prayer. It was a place of forgiveness. It was a place of of repentance. It was a place of restoration. It was a place of worship. And Jesus said they have turned it into a house of business. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke's version, Jesus said you've turned it into a den of thieves, or a den of robbers, whatever your translation says. So what happens when Jesus cleans, cleans house? And this is where I wanted to get to. When Jesus cleans house, purity is the goal. Purity is the goal. James wrote, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and do what to your hearts? Purify your hearts. Paul wrote to the 
church at Ephesus, and he made that beautiful comparison of the church and of a husband and of a wife, and he wrote in the fifth chapter, verses 25 through 27, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. When Jesus claims it's all about motives, it's all about the influence of the world and what we let come into this house, it's all about our hearts. It's all about how the church can be the church that God needs in the city of Tyler. Also, when Jesus cleans the house, it's a call for boldness. 2 Timothy 1 and 7, For God gave us not a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. I go back to that slide. And in that slide, that's not a man out of control. That's not a man who has lost his mind and got in the temple and just raised all kind of cane. That is a man that is showing his power as the son of God. He is showing his love for his fellow man in the wicked direction they were going, and he's showing self-control in his life. Because he could have done much, much worse if that would have been his father's will. A great purpose that God, that Jesus showed here His goal was cleaning up his father's house, preparing for the coming church. When Jesus cleans house, you will face hardships. When you come from a place where you are out of harmony with God, there's going to be pain involved. When you come from a place when your life has embarrassed you, there is going to be shame. When you come from a place where your life has been hurtful to others, there has to be amends made. Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 and 10, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but we're not destroyed. Always carrying in the body of the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may be manifested in our bodies. When we let Jesus clean house, when we let Jesus clean our hearts, there is purpose in our pain. There is purpose in our shame. There is purpose in our embarrassment. There is purpose in making amends. When we let Jesus clean our house, When Jesus cleans house, he will be the only one to notice the filth. We tend to ignore, we tend to overlook, we tend to procrastinate, we blame others, but Jesus knows. I talked about those closets. Don't we all have closets that we never open when somebody comes over to visit? (laughs) Don't open that door. Jesus don't care what's in it. 
you've got places in your heart that is such a deep, dark secret, it's so painful to use, Jesus wants you to come to the acknowledgement of what it is, and he wants to take care of you. He wants to clean our hearts. Hebrew writer wrote in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrows, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from sight, but all are, my translation says, naked and exposed in the eyes of him whom we give an account. Jesus knows. He knows our mistakes. He knows what we've done. All he wants to do is help you get back on the right path. When Jesus cleans the house, actions speak louder than words. When Jesus cleans our hearts, we respond with actions that are prompted by our faith, and people will know our repentance by the deeds we do. It's scripture. When Paul was making his claim against Agrippa, he made the statement in Acts 26 that I was not disobedient in the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem and throughout the whole region of Judea and also to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds, keeping with their repentance. And then John wrote, Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in, what's your Bible say? Deed and truth. People know when we're all talk, our actions will show them. And lastly, when Jesus cleans house, we will deal with the consequences. The world doesn't teach us that. The world just teaches, hey, it's going to be okay. You'll be fine. Just get in there, hang loose, and just let it go and let somebody else clean up after you. That's what they tell us. Jesus is not like you, not like that. I'm going to take you back to Ezra, the book of Ezra. In the 10th chapter, the first four verses, Ezra had come back, came back, and was rebuilding the temple, and he had found that all the people had intermarried with other people. They had already started out in the wrong foot, and they were in a mess. Temple work had stopped. The whole, everything, worship was corrupted. It was, it was in a bad way. And look what happened. Ezra 10, 1 through 4. While Ezra prayed and made confession, weeping and casting himself down before the house of God, and very, and very great assembly of men, women, and children gathered to him out of Israel, for the people wept bitterly. And Shechaniah, and Shechaniah sorry, the son of Jehel and the sons of Elam addressed Ezra. And listen to what they said. We have broken faith with our God and have married foreign women from the peoples of the land. And even now there is hope of Israel in spite of this. Therefore, let us make a covenant with God to put away all these wives and their children according to the counsel of the Lord. And of those who tremble at the commandment of our God, let it be done according to the law. Let us do what you want us to do, God. Then they say, arise, for it is your task, and we are with you. Be strong and do it. And I thought Nike brought that out. <laughs> Just do it. 
Sometimes that's what we have to do. We just need to do it and get through it and face it and get over with it and go to a new beginning with Jesus as our ruler and master. We need to do it in spite of the pain, in spite of the shame, in spite of the fact it's not popular. We need to put our wants and desires on the back burner and just follow Jesus. That's all he has ever wanted for us to do. So my question to you today is, are you ready for Jesus to clean your heart? Are you struggling with your purity? Are you struggling with your boldness? Do you need prayer for difficulties in your life? Is there some sin in your life that you're overlooking and trying to ignore and is keeping you from being that person Jesus needs here at West Irwin in you? Are you having trouble with your walk, matching your talk? Is there something you're dealing with that needs to be straightened out? I'm telling you, don't hold out. Don't hold out. Open your heart today. Invite him in. Let him do the work that he does so good. If there's anything that we can do for you today, come today. Don't wait. Come as we stand and as we sing. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and
bow with me, please. Dear Lord, as we leave our worship service this morning, we pray that we would keep our minds focused upon you and your kingdom, and that we would do so with a grateful heart for the love shown by your son, Jesus. Dear Lord, we pray for Eastern European missions and Bible Institute of Central America and the many other missionaries that are spreading your word. We pray, Lord, for the, all of those serving in our armed forces. We pray that you would keep them safe and bring them home safely. We pray for all those who could not be here this morning and for all those who have lost loved ones recently. Dear Lord, we pray for all those who are still away at home or in hospitals recovering from illness. Be with our nation, dear Lord, and its leaders in this new year. Forgive us of our wrongdoings and help us to always have a hopeful and faithful and loving heart. It's in your son's most holy name we pray. Amen.